Welcome back to the Film Review Shack. He's Daniel. And he's Darian. This week, we are reviewing two science fiction movies, Christopher Nolan's Interstellar and Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. To start off, we're going to get into Interstellar. Interstellar is a 2014 science fiction film directed by Christopher Nolan. Interstellar had a budget of $165 million while making $677,400,000 at the box office. Now, Daniel, why don't you kick us off with the acting? Sure. I really enjoyed the acting in this movie. I thought overall everyone was cast really well, and they were all able to give good performances in very diverse roles. All of these characters, they go through big emotion swings, and there's a lot that's going on with them emotionally throughout the movie. And I think all of these actors do a really good job at conveying the emotions of their character and putting on an overall great performance while doing that. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to go in and break down the performances from each of the actors because I think I have something to say for all of them. First off, Matthew McConaughey, I really enjoyed the performance that he gave in this film. In the first act of the film, we see him as an amazing father and how he does everything that comes with that. And in the second act, he comes in with a more charming aspect to his personality. He's meeting all these people for the mission and he's acting as a lighter personality to help with the mood of the severity of what is going on. And then in the third act, he portrays being devastated and the tragedy that is on the screen really well yeah i totally agree i really enjoy mcconaughey's performance in this as well i think there at some times it almost feels like he's a little too cool for school but that all that character choice it really works out in the end when he gets off into the mission and things start going awry and you can really see how his demeanor allows him to stay cool and collected in these moments of panic where most people would be just losing it he has this character built to be so cool that when you get to those situations, he can remain still somewhat calm and it works with the character. So I really like his character choice and how he portrayed his character. Yeah, he definitely delivers. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about Mackenzie Foy, who is the actress that plays young Murph. We only really see her acting at its best when it's also portraying tragedy that takes place in the first act. Uh, We don't see her through the rest of the film, of course, but that first act, she did a really phenomenal job. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed the performance from her and as well from Timothy Chalamet. The two kids in this, they're both young, and I think they nail their performance for the the act of the movie that they're in. Definitely. And to add on to that, uh, Jessica Chastain, of course, who plays Murph as Murph gets older, does a really good job at acting as well. Uh, This begins when she picks up on the mood of the character from Mackenzie Foy's portrayal in the first act. She's still upset and devastated about her father leaving. But then in the final act, when the pieces all start to come together, she becomes brilliant. And it's a side of her that we haven't seen up until this point. Yeah, I think she does a great job as well. I think it's a great casting choice. And she matches up, as you're saying, really well. She picks up the role perfectly in the middle of the movie. And that childlike curiosity carries through both characters. And I think that's a great part of that character's personality that both actors do a tremendous job at. Now, the final actor I'm going to talk about is Anne Hathaway, and she portrays the character in a very similar manner to Matthew McConaughey. However, we mostly only see her in the second and third act when the drama is more intense on the screen. But she also does a great job at acting to the situation, being lighthearted in the second act, and being more intense in the third act. I agree, yeah. Anne Hathaway, for me, sometimes hit and miss. 
but I really enjoy her in this movie, and I think she does a great job of showing a very diverse array of emotions that her character has. And she really nails the confident badass while also really nailing the emotional distressed side of her character. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one little part of the movie that I think is really interesting and adds some great acting scenes to this film are the video calls that take place between the characters that are on the mission and the people back home. On one side of things, you have the camera when it's on Matthew McConaughey, who's portraying a very devastated dad, knowing he'll never or he may never see his kids again, never watch them grow up. And then on the other side, you've got his kids who are portraying great emotional speeches as they haven't been able to get in contact with him. So it's almost like they're telling their life story and he's just got to sit and watch it in a matter of 30 seconds or a minute, whatever the video call comes in at. Now, the video calls take place in both films that we're going to review today, but I'll dive more into that and the differences when we get into our second movie. I really enjoyed the video call little tidbits as well. I think they're a great little window into the emotions and the psyche of the characters. And it really, it's at their most vulnerable point when they're either recording or watching these videos. And so it gives you a really solid foundation of where these people are emotionally. Definitely. It's really a devastating aspect to watch in regard to this film. Now to talk about one other piece of the acting is actually the comedy that they brought to it. Of course, we've mentioned it's a very devastating film at times, very tragic. However, there's a lot of content that they kind of weave in and out through the screenplay and the acting, and there's some playful jokes and bantering that take place. Uh, In the second act, you've got them joking about like, okay, the 90% honesty thing. That really just adds some comedy and lightheartedness to take back from some of the dramatic and tragedy we're seeing. Yeah, I think every intense movie needs a little bit of comedic relief. And this one does a really good job of sprinkling it in just enough that you're satisfied, but not too much where it takes away from the movie. Definitely. Now, to get into the screenplay, I think in regard to the concept, the writing is absolutely brilliant for this film. It was tight the whole way through and constantly engaging. And it was also clever writing for the dialogue and how that was able to bring the characters together throughout the film. Yeah, I really enjoyed the writing in this movie, top to bottom. All the little details and all the big parts of the movie. Everything works. It flows nicely. Pacing and the dialogue, as you're saying, it's it's really tight. It's really snappy. There's a lot of good lines, a lot of repeatable lines. And speaking about the bigger things of the writing that I liked, I really enjoy the structure in this movie. I think it really nails a good solid three-act structure. And it's got good complex conflict all throughout the movie. And it even throws in some twists that I really enjoy at at key points in the movie. For example, the Matt Damon twist of him being evil or the one where Coop jettisons off from the endurance into the black hole. I really like how they set up those, but then yet still kind of catch you by surprise. And I, I just think that the whole structure of the film was very well thought out and very well done. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those films where you kind of have to pay attention and watch closely because you've got these little things that are coming in that really pull the story together. And it's so brilliantly done, of course. We see it time and time again with movies from Christopher Nolan and no exemption here. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I'd like to talk about and something that I saw portrayed a little bit in the movie here and there was traces of the hero's journey. It was a theme that I found to be somewhat present in this film. I wouldn't call it a classic example of it, but there seem to be some similarities to it, as in he's going to this unfamiliar place, and then by the end of the film, he's taking everything he's learned on this mission, and he's making change back to where he's originally from. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying, and you even got the mentor in there with the professor, and yeah, a lot of lot of 
points that it hits on the hero's journey here and it does it really well and it does it subtly enough that it's it's not the main emphasis necessarily of the story it kind of goes a bit unnoticed whereas like a movie like star wars it's right in your face it's obviously a hero's journey this one is very much the hero's journey but does it in a way that keeps it nice and fresh for the viewer yeah it's just a great small thing to add to all the brilliance already in this film i also really like how this movie seems to go in a bit of a cyclical fashion that starts off with these interviews of people talking about oh this is what it was like back in my day and we end the movie with those interviews and we see where they're from and it's all about time from the beginning of the movie and then the movie becomes this whole thing about relativity of time and that's the main theme throughout the movie from start to finish and you kind of go just like the hero's journey from the start talking about time and you make a full circle just like a clock and you return back to that same point where they're talking about time Mm -hmm. it was definitely a really interesting way that they weaved everything together using that now to get into the cinematography of course with this film we've got the space shots and it is always amazing to see shots of space in films and again absolutely no exception it is very visually appealing to look at throughout the whole film yeah my favorite parts of this movie and i really like how they shoot all of them there's a consistent way that they're shooting them and it makes the spaceship kind of seem like it's surfing on the either the sky or the space or in the one planet where it's actually surfing on the water. You can see, I really love that scene where it rides up on the wave because they shoot that exact same way as they shoot all the scenes where that ranger is flying in space. And it seems like it's surfing along the stars and how space is bending around with the wormhole and stuff. It's really visually pleasing and it's a very interesting motif that they continue throughout the movie. Absolutely, like you just said, it's so consistent throughout the whole film. And I actually struggle with this movie to pick out one shot I like or one set design that I like because it's all so amazing. It's all the same throughout the whole film, but it's at such a higher level than your typical majority of shots of a film. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, there's not a point in this movie where you're like, this is all better than the rest. It's so consistent and so good all throughout and I think it's so great because it's got such a diverse catalog of shots. It really, it gives you everything. All the different types of shots, all different types of movements, wide shots, close-up shots. It's got everything. But I do have to say, I think my favorite shots from this movie were the wide shots, especially those of the spaceship or of the environment. I think it, it does a really good job at setting the scene and giving you the scale of this movie. Yeah, I think the shot selection, of course, was absolutely great. And this movie, it was shot on film, like lots of great movies have been. And I really like the grain and the lenses that they're shooting them on. This movie, just like The Hateful Eight, it was shot on anamorphic lenses. Uh, Panavision as well. Same kind of lens, just a, a different model. And it just it has such a nice characteristic to it. It really is, it's a pleasing shot to look at and the grain is subtle enough, but it's there. So it just kind of gives you this this warm feeling inside. At least it does for me. And one thing that was really cool about this film is they printed it for its release on 70 millimeter film for IMAX. And it was the longest IMAX film ever at the time. It apparently was almost too heavy to load on the reels were too heavy to load and some of the machines actually broke under the weight of this movie. It was like something like 33 reels of film. It was crazy. Wow, yeah. Uh, I like that you said that I actually didn't know the movie was 
printed on film. But now that you mention it, of course, when you watch films like this or Hateful Eight, you can see the differences and how it gives you such a greater experience through the choices they make to produce the film. Yeah, and it just gives it such a great characteristic in the visuals. Now, speaking of some of the characteristic in the visuals, I also really love the lighting in this movie. And especially when they're inside the spaceship and the shots in the spaceship, I think that lighting is just incredible. It's a great use of hard lighting and moving lights as well. I really like some of the shots where the sun is kind of coming in and out of the window and you see that light go across the actors' faces and it's it like totally blows them out for a second and it's it's a really cool really stark image that you get from that just like total blown out whiteness and it just makes the film feel so much more authentic because it feels like it's kind of in this military space with all this hard lighting and it would make sense because not a lot of it would be diffused it's just as bright as it can be and as well, in that same vein, there's a lot of lens flares that are in this, and I think it's they're used brilliantly, and they're so visually stunning when they're used, even little subtle ones. Mm-hmm. I'm going to touch on the lighting based off what you just said, too. I think it is so difficult to maintain lighting that you described, like the sun going in and out of windows, to actually be prepared to take or to film the shot like that at the right set in time. That's not an easy task to do. Yeah, for sure. Lots of preparation for this movie, for sure. Now, I said I couldn't place out one scene, but I'm going to talk about one anyways, and that is one of the final scenes in the film. Uh, I think it's got some of the best-looking cinematography I've ever seen. When he's returned to Earth, and he's viewing his daughter's bedroom, and he's able to float around, and you've got like all these different spots and sections to what he's viewing, it's really cool and unique, and I have no idea how they filmed that. Yeah, I loved that that imagery. It is so beautiful and and so trippy with how repetitive it is within all these different geometric shapes. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that scene and the special effects that it took to to create them, it there's a lot of really cool special effects in this. And my favorite part of it is just the images that they were able to create of space. Like, obviously, they weren't building sets where there's gigantic planets for them to fly through. So that them being able to create these majestic-looking planets and the black hole and all the imagery around the black hole is just stunning. Very much like our other movie we're going to be reviewing today. It's it's so cool. I'm I'm a sucker for that. I love seeing spaceships flying through the stars and through planets. Uh, but another part of the visuals that I really liked was right after the Tesseract scene when he's going back, being transported back into his own dimension. He goes through that that wormhole and does the handshake, and it's this mirror kind of watery looking fluid dimension that he's in. And I just think it's absolutely spectacular what they're able to do with all the reflections and the light that's bouncing around everywhere. And that that's incredibly difficult to do. It, it takes a lot of time in, in digital effects. And it was very impressive, at least in my opinion. Absolutely. And for me, it makes me really glad that this film came out in more recent years because you see all these effects that probably wouldn't have been produced like that in an older film that you see. I'll dive more into that when we get into the second film, but this one just gave a leg up for me for the effects, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, speaking of those visual effects, the only Oscar that was won by Interstellar was for the visual effects. 
And I think it just goes to show how spectacular it was and how standout it is to everything that came out that year because you got superhero movies, you got all this stuff with a lot of great effects, and that comes out the winner. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see it. There's often those spaceship movies are, are good with their effects and they win those awards sometimes. A, a good example is in 2019 or 2020, uh, the movie First Man won for best special effects over Infinity War, which had this giant CG character and an incredible feat in visual effects. But the visuals that in that movie and same here in Interstellar, they're so breathtaking that it just captures the imagination and it's it's hard not to give it the best award because it's such inspiring imagery that they're creating. Definitely. Now, another part of the film that I quite enjoyed, of course, was the score and the soundtrack in this film. You've got the music coming from Hans Zimmer. Uh, he's one of the most known composers in recent years for cinema, and he absolutely delivers on this one. Yeah, I love Hans's work. I think he does so many great stuff, and he's been, been doing it for a while now, and it, it really shows what he's capable of. It, he's one of the greats up there with Danny Elfman and John Williams. And my favorite part of his score is how he uses these motifs and the main kind of interstellar theme throughout the movie. Very reminiscent for me of a movie like Star Wars, how they use that main theme to carry out throughout the whole movie. This one does the same exact thing, and it brings that theme in at key points to remind you of other times that that theme has been brought in, and it really helps create an atmosphere and give you an emotion that you wouldn't necessarily have if the music was different. Yes, it makes the soundtrack much more memorable and the content that's matching the soundtrack with that as well. One thing I quite enjoyed about the score is the mood that it set at certain moments. Uh, One particular example I have is the scene where Murph's dad is driving away in the truck. There's really sad music playing to accurately reflect what is happening and just how devastating it is for all characters involved. And it comes in so strong. Uh, Murph is screaming, not wanting him to go. But the music is louder, and that's just how powerful they want it to be. Yeah, and other points in this movie does the same thing. The really powerful music takes over and takes you to a different place. And I think it's just a, a great element of storytelling. And throughout the whole movie, the score in this does a great job of adding additional storytelling. I also found in the sound design, this film does a great use of silence. And that's a really powerful thing in a lot of films that a lot of films don't take advantage of, but this one does to a T. And it's a lot of the space scenes. And I love how it goes from dramatic music to absolute silence once you get an exterior shot in space. And I think it's almost even more powerful than these gigantic swells of the music. Just having nothing to hear and just that sense of curiosity of what might happen and and the eerie feeling that it leaves in you is so powerful that it's drawing more emotion out of you than maybe the the big swells would. I don't know. That's how it did for me. Yeah, I think it's so unique and rare for a film to take advantage of something like this. And when a film is able to just stop and make everything silent, make the scenery breathtaking, it really does its job at pulling the audience in and making you pay attention really to even closer than you have been for this particular shot yeah it's kind of one of those things that makes you sit up on the edge of your seat absolutely now personally as you can probably guess from this review i love this film and i was actually shocked at how it did at the oscars and the academy awards it didn't get 
any nominations as far as the acting and the best picture goes. And I think it was definitely deserving. What about you? Yeah, I definitely would have put it up there for best picture acting. I'm not sure what other movies were nominated that year off the top of my head. But the, the acting in this movie, it's not necessarily Oscar worthy for me, in my opinion. But I'm not a, a huge acting critic. And it could have been the best acting of that year. I'm just not super familiar with what other movies were nominated that year. Right. I don't think it was necessarily going to win anything. I just think it warranted a nomination. All right. Well, that's our review. So now it's time to give it a rating. All right. I'm going to kick things off. And I think today I'm going to go with an eight and a half. I felt really positive about it overall. had a great experience and nothing I can really say negatively about the film at all. Yeah. I'm a little surprised you went with an eight and a half. I thought you might have gone a little higher than that, actually. But I like your reasoning. Well, thanks for your approval. I very similar reasoning for me, but I'm going to go as high as a nine for this one. It's not a 10 for me because I'm not in love with Matthew McConaughey's acting. I feel like there maybe could have been someone who did it better or at least different and would have maybe been more enjoyable for me personally. But I love the cinematography. I love the story and I love everything else that goes with this movie. So it's got to be a nine for me. That was our review of Interstellar. When we come back, we have a short announcement. Stay tuned. And now it's time for our special announcement. We are excited to share with you that we will be moving to a new format this week. As you may notice, this is not one of our variety segments. That is because they will now be getting their very own episode every other week. Don't worry, though, because the film reviews will continue on their same weekly schedule. Let us know what you think of this change and stay tuned for the first Variety episode coming later this week. Thank you very much and back to the Film Review Shack. And we're back. In a moment, we are going to get into Space Odyssey. But first, a word from our sponsors. Uh, Darian. Still no sponsors, huh? Well, can't blame them. Alrighty then. Well, I guess we're getting into 2001 A Space Odyssey. 2001 A Space Odyssey is a 1968 futuristic science fiction film directed by the one and only Stanley Kubrick. 2001 had a budget of $10 million and took over four years to develop and make. In the end, it roped in a whopping $66.37 million at the box office. I'm going to dive in with the acting. Personally, nothing stood out to me. It was rather disappointing that there was no outstanding acting, as the subjects could have definitely roped in some very great acting. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know if it was necessarily the actors just not being super dynamic with their acting, or if it was just that their characters weren't written with very much emotion to them. And it's kind of strange, you know, Stanley Kubrick, he's known for being very difficult to work with because he's so demanding from his actors. And in this movie, it just kind of seems like acting is a second thought. Yeah, it's so dialed down. And for the time the film was made, it should be an exciting feature. The acting should be. Yeah, especially with the storyline, too, with lots of conflict going on and it being such a, a weird film, you'd think that they could slip in some interesting acting, but... You're right, just just a bit disappointing. Now, I had said when we were reviewing Interstellar that I was going to touch up more on these video calls that we've seen in both films. And 
I just found it funny how the video calls in 2001 A Space Odyssey seemed more calm and realistic. The daughter and the father at the beginning of the movie can be seen having a casual conversation over the chat, and it just gives it the feel that this is a casual thing to be happening, even though the film's in 1968, when it wasn't as common with the space travel theme. And then it's funny to see the opposite of that in Interstellar, as the video chats are always dramatic and there's always tension on them. And it seems like a much bigger deal, even though it was more common in 2014. Just a funny dynamic for me. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. It's a much different dynamic with the video calls between the two movies. 2001, it just seems like there's not as much stakes going on. And so the video calls aren't as high strung. They're just more of a an add-on to kind of give you a little bit of information about the characters' lives. I do want to add that there was one character in this movie that I enjoyed and kind of liked the acting, and that was the Haywood character towards the beginning and kind of that second segment. Nothing too crazy. I just thought that character was a bit different and kind of two-faced in how he had all the information, but to his friends, he was not telling them. And he kind of just played a little bit of a dynamic where he didn't know what was going on when he did know what was going on. And then when he knew what was going on, he could share it with the people that were appropriate to share it with. He had a totally different demeanor and total different command of the room. Mm -hmm. A very interesting dynamic from that portrayal. Now for the screenplay, I think it is pretty hard to praise it. Unfortunately, as far as the dialogue goes, there's very little of it throughout the film. And when there is, it's pretty dull and boring. Like it's very generic to a situation where it seems like this is every day for them. And they do this all the time we're put in a place right from the beginning of the movie where this could be an ordinary day for the actors in the scene. It doesn't really give any special recognition to any of that. Yeah, I agree. There's not a lot of high stakes for the majority of this movie. And it kind of kind of makes the dialogue a little bit difficult. It makes it more like a lot of small talk. And it's it's definitely not a big emphasis of this movie, for sure. Now, I wasn't a huge fan of the dialogue. However... I do enjoy the writing for the situation in the film, and the concept is really brilliant. Uh, I think it's very unique and definitely ahead of its time. It was something that stood out so much. I don't think there was really any big space films like that before Kubrick did this one. Yeah, for sure. It's a very groundbreaking film, and you can see with a lot of movies that followed it how they drew inspiration, and even Interstellar is a great example of that pulls a lot of inspiration and a lot of similar traits from 2001. I really like how this movie really leaves a lot up to interpretation to the viewer. I think it's it's an interesting way of making a movie. It's just kind of ambiguous and I like how it paces itself that it gives the viewer a lot of time to think and to reflect on what's going on and just a, a very different way of making a movie kind of letting the viewer make of it what they think of it rather than giving them everything and giving them this really intense story it's more of almost like the cinema of attraction back at the dawn of cinema definitely and for me it almost bordered as an experimental film throughout the whole thing it's very unique in that way a lot of it is left up to the audience and that interpretation and i hear a lot of people say it's pretty boring And before this viewing, I'd probably have to agree, but on this viewing, I love the shots. The scenery is so beautiful, and it's so well done. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not one of those people that say it's boring. This is my favorite movie, and 
I, I really just enjoy every aspect of this, even the ones that aren't necessarily knock your socks off. Yeah, I think it's really unique when you can appreciate the film frame by frame rather than the overall scope of it all. Speaking of the overall scope, the structure of this film I found to be very interesting. It's kind of like a three-act story, but then there's kind of these two different stories that are going on which each have their own three acts. You've got what I like to say is the monolith storyline and then you have the Hal storyline. And they both kind of play into each other, but they also are kind of separate from each other. Like you got the monolith, which is the Donna Man, and then the scene with the Haywood character. And then you go off with this space adventure with Hal, and then that kind of ends, and then you get Jupiter and Beyond, which is just this weird scene where you kind of are left to adventure of the monolith and what could be behind and explaining the monolith. So I think it's interesting structure how it kind of weaves two storylines with their own arcs throughout the movie. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, uh, When watching this, watching for the structure kind of went out the window for me. I don't know what it is about the film, but I just didn't pay close attention to it like I would in another film. It just kind of, it's so dynamic with the time differences and everything like you just mentioned. But when put into words like that, it is definitely interesting to think about. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird the way that they jump back and forth. So you're, the structure isn't thrown in your face, maybe like Interstellar was with the hero's journey. It's it's a lot more kind of subtle. Another element that I really like about this one, similar to, to Interstellar, is how it starts off the same way as it ends. This one's a little different, a little less obvious. It starts off with the Donna Man and then finishes off with a giant baby, which is kind of weird, but they're very similar. They're both the beginning of humanity in a, in a way. And I like how it brings that full circle and the motifs that they use. I really like this one motif that they use of the sun and the moon and the silhouette of, of planets and how the sun will light up the silhouette of the planet or with the monolith, how the sun peaks over the monolith and the moon is on the other side. It's, it's very symbolic. And I think throughout the whole movie, there's really great symbolism and really great motifs that kind of tie this movie together start to finish, even with its weird structure. Yeah, absolutely. Symbolism plays a huge part in this. Something I don't touch on as much usually in films. It's something that plays a less important role for me, but it has to be mentioned when you watch a film like Space Odyssey. Now, cinematography. There is a lot to be said for this, but I'm going to pick apart a few examples that I enjoyed while watching this film. And the first one was the first scene that had dialogue in it. Just like every other shot in it, the scenery in this movie is beautiful. They're all sitting around a table, and it's so interesting because there's no lights in the shot, and there's no windows or any sources that you can see that are bringing in any light. And yet it's so consistent in frame, which I found really interesting because even in a room in real life, it's not lit evenly. So it's just really impressive to see that shot for me. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think the lighting in this movie it's really impressive how it's high key and how that's used and but yet it's still soft light and it's not too hard on the on the skin and it's just interesting seeing all this high key lighting being used for something that's a little bit weirder and a little bit darker oh absolutely overall the cinematography in this movie i think it's brilliant as you're saying and i think it's artistically simple and complex at the same time 
And I think they strike a balance really well between keeping it simple and not overloading the the senses, but also having these really complex shots in it that are technically incredible how they pulled them off. For example, I think in a lot of the scenes, they have really well thought out angles and specifically a lot of them use really good, really cool wide angle shots and full angle shots. And there's not too many shots and they're not cutting back and forth in between too much. Too much. So it really lets you kind of sit in the scene and gives you these different perspectives. It's exactly what you need to tell the story. Nothing more, nothing less. I think it just it really strikes a really good balance of being creative, but being simple and just telling the story. Yeah, I was just about to mention that, actually. From an overall scope, I really like the selection that was used in the film. In the majority of films that you watch, you're going to see a lot of cuts back and forth between characters that are in the same location as they deliver their lines. But what I noticed in this film was there was a lot of shots that just rolled for a long time, and they let the change happen while the actors were in frame. You got people walking around, you got stuff moving, and you'd have a lot of moving pieces move around as the camera was rolling, which was really unique and different. Yeah, and speaking of these shots where they just kind of sit and let roll, I really like the use of static shots in this without any camera movement and then also mixing it up with some shots that have camera movement i think there's a really great choice made of when to have a static shot and when to use camera movement and the movement isn't put in just for movement's sake it's always put in to tell the story and if movement doesn't help the story then it's a static shot and i really enjoy these static shots because they give a really great feel to the movie it's kind of this cold kind of peering in where you're just watching and you're not moving and it just gives you a bit of the cold shoulder, you could say. It's an interesting feel and I think matching that up with some of the the dynamic shots with the camera moving, it really adds a feel and another level of storytelling into this movie. Yeah, such a great job well done from that point of view. Another thing I noticed about cinematography was the use of tilted camera angles, but they play as tilted even towards the character sometimes which are usually used by directors or producers to signify when something is off on the screen. And I think we see a lot of that in this film. You even get some shots where there's characters and they're walking on like a normal ground and then they end up going up the wall and walking upside down. And I think it's really brilliant how they use that to signify the difference and uniqueness of the content of the film. Yeah, there's some really cool camera angles and the like Dutch angles, you could say, although they're not necessarily Dutch angles, but tilted angles and and kind of sideways shots that really play with the perspective and really kind of make you question how's this person doing that it's it's very cool effect and as you're saying it really helps differentiate the content in this movie oh a hundred percent we've already touched on it a decent amount but i want to touch on it again because it's such a great part of the cinematography and that is the landscape shots and the establishing shots in space as well. We've got great shots of the desert in the, the first scene of the Donna Man. And then you kind of carry that throughout the movie with these, these establishers, static shots. And I am really astounded by how well the ones in space worked out and how they were able to light them. There's no green screen or anything like that. These are all paintings. They're not computer generated. And the way that they were able to light them, the planets, while still having pitch black space, I thought that was really impressive. And how they were lighting on the spaceships and everything, just this, all the exterior space shots, I thought were breathtaking and just really well lit 
and very, very cool to see. For sure. I think throughout the whole film, it's so beautiful to look at every shot. And like we discussed earlier, it took them four years to develop this. So you talk about the paintings and the imagery that's being produced that way. Such an impressive way to do it and so astounding for the time of the release of the film. Yeah, truly groundbreaking, even though the, a lot of the techniques that they were using in this are not crazy techniques, but just the way that they were able to pull them off and the precision that they are executing with is incredible. One last thing that I do want to touch on in the cinematography, just a small point, is I really like the use of depth in this movie. It has to do a lot with the set design and having long sets where you can place your characters in the background or place them in the foreground and still have a lot going on. I think that there's a couple scenes, especially with the Haywood character, that I thought were really cool and, and really interesting shots. Yeah, I agree for sure. Moving on, we're going to touch a little bit on the special effects here because this movie is riddled with them and they do such a great job at creating incredible special effects, practical special effects at the time of the movie's release. Of course, we have to talk about the beyond section of this and that wild imagery that Stanley Kubrick was able to create. And that, for me, is the coolest part of the movie with all these colors streaming in and then you have the the aerial shots and how they were exposing the film with different colors. And I thought that was just an incredible sequence, an incredible feat in creativity and film development and special effects. I still don't know how they did a lot of it. I know some of it was ink blots and and I was saying different exposures and exposing the film differently, but a lot of it's just incredible. You know, I think this is probably the, the episode where we're most on the same page for what we were talking about in the review. I have this written down here too. I have no idea how you would even produce all those visual effects shown in today's day and age. And in specific for me, the sequence really at the end of the movie where it cuts back and forth between his face and that flash of like red lights and just amazing visuals. I couldn't even tell you how to produce that in today's day and age. <laughs> now, I'm not too experienced in that field, but still, I think it just makes it so much more impressive that Stanley Kubrick pulled it off in 1968. Yeah, it's incredible the special effects that they have in this movie for the time that they made it i like to compare this movie to star wars which came out nine years after this movie and you can see a lot of the same techniques especially in the models and how they were shooting the the exterior space scenes are very similar from this movie to the first star wars movie and in nine years it's incredible how much technology develops yet kubrick was on point and was groundbreaking with this movie and basically 10 years later they still hadn't caught up yeah he nails every aspect of this film right on point now closely related to the special effects is the set designs that are throughout this movie and like any kubrick movie incredible incredible detail in these sets my favorite part is the use of contrast in these sets there's a lot of them especially in the spaceships that it's kind of plain, there's a lot of white, but then they sprinkle in black to have this stark contrast, white and black, that kind of that stormtrooper look, and then pops of color. In the first scene where Haywood gets onto the space station, you have all white with these red chairs, and then in the inter- or in the meeting room in that same sequence, it's all white with blue chairs, and then once you we get to the Jupiter mission, 
we've got basically all white in the spaceship and then pops a color in the spacesuit. And I really like how that color and contrast is used within the set design. I think it gives this movie really good character. Yeah, we have done a couple Stanley Kubrick films now and always with that set design, he delivers again another aspect. But what I loved about it is to touch a little bit on what you just said is the diversity of how the scenes look amongst the space shots and then the ones that are inside what would be like in the spaceships, the meeting rooms, etc. So much diversity. Yeah, and it's like every room, like we were saying in The Shining, has its own feel to it. They're all individual rooms with individual characteristics that help separate different scenes taking place in different rooms. And of course, we can't talk about the set design without talking about the incredible sets that they built to go along with some of the really adventurous camera work. One that's talked about very often is the big treadmill kind of thing that they built that Dave is running on and it's the kind of the cameras following him around as he's running along the side of it and then the camera switches and he's running towards the camera or the camera's behind him and it's a really cool set it's very famous because they built this giant basically it's a treadmill that is a giant wheel they built in a studio it was like I think like five stories tall or something crazy it was massive and then there's some other smaller sets where they had to do the exact same thing so the camera could move or the whole set could move so that the camera would capture the image correctly for the distortion of gravity that they were going for in a lot of the scenes yeah just great little pieces to add to the movie and give the audience more satisfaction with yeah just very incredible the sets that he's able to build and pull off for his movies all right to dive into the score and the sound design easily one of the greatest parts of an already incredible movie i think the score is so recognizable to you even if you haven't seen the film first time i watched the movie i heard that song in the beginning and i was like oh had no idea that was where it was from Uh, of course that one song i think everybody has heard and it plays so well in the film and consistently it's not only at the beginning it plays through various climactic parts of the film yeah and it's interesting how the score for this film came about originally stanley kubrick had a whole score written just for this movie and then kind of at the last minute he decided he didn't like it and went and found all these very famous classical pieces that people already knew and decided to use those for his score instead yeah just another great piece to add to the puzzle yeah and overall i think the sound in this movie is the biggest driver of the story it really sets every scene. For example, the start of the movie starts off with a couple minutes of just ominous, creepy music to set up the scenes that follow it. And then the next scene that follows it doesn't even have any dialogue. It's another music scene again with the opening credit scene. And it carries throughout the movie where the music plays and then the scene starts. So the music has a chance to set the mood and drive the story. It gives you the feeling before you even get into the scene. Yeah, it was a great way at them to play on engagement for the audience. Like you just said, they set up the mood with the music that comes before the visuals. And it's a great way to rope you in. You're kind of intrigued by how the music makes you feel. And then the screen delivers. And along with the music, I think this movie has incredible sound effects and sound design. And they also use it to set the scene or set the mood 
of a bunch of the scenes. Specifically, I'm thinking of Dave's breathing when he goes out into space, and they kind of use that a bunch after after the first time he ventures out into space. And there's there's basically nothing going on, no music, no other sound effects, just his breathing, and it gives a really weird feel to the scene and all the scenes that use it. And it's, I think, a very interesting choice to not have any other sound effects, no music, and just have this breathing track going for i think one of the scenes is almost like 10 minutes where it's just all breathing track it's a cool take i don't have too much to say about good old dave's breathing but i'll leave that one for you well thanks and similarly in this movie it does a great use of silence as well there's some some poignant scenes in this movie where everything cuts out and it's just silence it i don't know if it does it quite as well as interstellar in my opinion because it just doesn't quite use it as much so it doesn't become as much of an impactful thing in the movie until kind of the the second half or you could say that second story of the journey to Jupiter. But what this movie does differently is it also uses white noise. So instead of just having silence or having music, it has the crackle of the microphone, this white noise that's very ominous and very intimidating in my opinion. And I think that's a special thing about this movie is it's it doesn't fear and turn away from kind of maybe we could say the uglier sides of film, like having a static in the background. It leans into that and says, no, this is a choice that I'm making to have this gross static of the microphone as my sound effect for this scene. Yeah, and I'm going to go back to how you compared the two films in regard to this one aspect. I think Space Odyssey did it actually more powerful for me. You had said Interstellar for you. But I think just because Space Odyssey is so focused on sound throughout the entire film that even these little pieces of just dead sound still play a greater part, whereas Interstellar has a little more diversity between music, dialogue, etc. True, yeah, I get what you're saying there, and I agree. It's a bigger key part of the film. Okay, one last thing I'm going to talk about is another theme that I found is humans versus the machines. Very classic science fiction theme. And the example I'm referring to, of course, is HAL 9000. It acts as an opposing force to the humans in this film. And it also plays in a really ironic way for me because we're living in a prime time of people owning Google Homes, Amazon Alexas, and there are so many similarities to the two different machines I found. Firstly, it's very common to hear people say, be careful what you say, Google's always listening. And it's just so funny to me because they nailed that concept without having any idea that technology would actually turn out this way. As, of course, Hell Not Dows is listening to them and becoming this kind of evil thing on screen and it's just what people are thinking of them being in these days. Yeah, that's a really interesting parallel that you draw. I really like that. I think we bored you enough with our very epic long films today. So we're going to wrap this up and get into a rating right now. I'm going to start us off and I'm going to kick it off because it's my favorite movie and because it's put together so well, even though there are some aspects that leave a little bit of room to desire, I'm going to give this a whopping 10 out of 10. There you have it, folks. The Film Review Shack's first perfect movie, 2001 A Space Odyssey. What can I say? Might Maybe a little biased, but I think it's a perfect movie. All right. Now, I'm going to go with the same rating as I did for Interstellar. I'm going to go with eight and a half. I think two amazing films, obviously in the same realm of cinema, and so creatively different and the same because you've got the outstanding effects in 1968 that was so incredible to pull off. But then you've got a lot more generated effects in Interstellar and equally as amazing. So yeah, 8.5. All right, well, that is our review of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, that was our episode today. 
stay tuned for more episodes. Signing out. I'm Daniel. I'm Darian. And we are the Film Film Review Shack. Shack.